Hey, we've been in a series, this is week number three um, on the Holy Spirit, and uh, I'm, it's, I'm excited about it. So we're going to go a third week, and uh, I'm not excited about it, I'm excited about him. Uh, he's not an it, uh, but I am excited about the series, which isn't it. Uh, the series isn't it, but he's not an it. Okay, everybody understand? All right, you're tracking with me. I, I think we're all together on the same page. Um, and I just want to go over the first week we talked about Pentecost, uh, and we just redefined that term. We didn't redefine it, we just got back to the original definition of Pentecost, which is not scary. How many know Pentecostals can be scary, but not Pentecost, right? The word Pentecost is great. And uh, sometimes Pentecostals can be scary, but other times they're great. Um, But a lot of us have these terms. We hear these spiritual language, we hear these spiritual terms, and it conjures up all kinds of things, right? It reminds us of past experiences, past encounters, and sometimes that can produce some really negative emotions. It can produce some negative uh, past experiences. And so we just said Pentecost, literally, this is not a scary definition. Everybody say 50. 50. That's not, there's nothing wrong with, nobody's, no, nobody's scared of the number 50, right? Nobody's scared of Pentecost. Um, and we know 50 days after Easter is referring to the day of Pentecost in which the Holy Spirit fell Uh, on the believers, that he empowered and strengthened the disciples, the early church. And they literally, in just a few short years, uh, Scripture references that they they were the men who turned the world upside down, men and women who turned the world upside down. Uh, They literally transformed the world, not because of their own ability or their own willpower, but they came out of the upper room, having been empowered by the Holy Spirit, a different type of people than when they went in. They were a different kind of human being. Um, They were an empowered human being. And so they walked and they talked and they acted like Jesus and they did the kinds of things that Jesus did. And they fulfilled uh, that the prophecy that Jesus said, greater works than these you will also do. And that didn't end with them. It's actually continued. And so we talked about that on our first Sunday together. And then we talked about the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. And we came up with the the two words, right? We didn't come up with it, but we discovered the two words in the Old Testament, the word ruach, and in the New Testament, the word pneuma, the Greek word pneuma. And uh, we talk about how both those words don't mean holy, spirit, or ghost. Uh, both those words, both in Hebrew and New Testament, uh, just mean breath or wind. It's the very breath of God, the very wind of God. And there's nothing scary about wind, right? There's nothing scary about breath. There's nothing, uh, there's nothing intimidating about that idea about the breath of God being a part of the human experience, that he wants his breath to empower and to strengthen us. He wants the wind of the Spirit to fill our sails and empower us for living and for godliness and to strengthen us to be a witness in our world. And there's nothing scary about wind and breath. There's something a little scary about ghosts. I mean, you know, I told you that, right? Like, you know, I never wanted to have anything to do with ghosts when I was a kid, and I'm still not really interested in ghosts. Uh, But wind, breath, man, I'll receive that all day long. I will receive the breath of God into my life to empower and to strengthen me. Today, we're going to define another word that um, oftentimes uh, gets a, a different definition. We think of it in one way. We think of the word baptism, and the first thing that comes into our mind is water baptism. Uh, we think of baptism and water as synonymous, that that is baptism, and being baptized in water is the only kind of baptism that is available that we're baptized and it's just water. But when the scripture was authored, when it was written, and that word was used, baptism, that's not really the reference that they had in mind. Baptism means immersion, immersed, fully immersed. And it doesn't just mean immersed in water. There's actually three baptisms that scripture talks about, the New Testament talks about, and uh, that Jesus talks about, and that he invites us into. And it's the baptism into salvation, 
That's where we receive the blood of Jesus that covers and forgives sins. And that's its own kind of baptism where we're immersed and we're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus and we're covered by him and we're fully enveloped in who he is and we become all in as believers. That's the moment that we believe. We become baptized in the blood of Jesus and he covers and forgives and, and, and sets us free from past sin and, and past hurts and he removes our sins as far as the east is from the west. And then there's water baptism, and that's where we actually get dunked, right? That is the, that is the quintessential baptism that we often refer to as all baptism. That's where we come up in front of a group of people, and we are dunked in water, and we come out, and it's a representation baptism. It's a representative uh, picture of what God's done in our life, that the old has passed away, and we're buried with Christ in the tomb. And when we rise from the water, when we rise from the waters of baptism, the new has come and we experience the resurrection of Jesus and we're a brand new creature. And it's really a public declaration of faith. It's, we often say this, it's going public. Water baptism is going public. And how many know it happens in public places, doesn't it? It happens where people are looking. We go to family camp. We, um, this year we're going to Old Oak Ranch, uh, but in the past we've gone to a place called Lake Francis. And there's, there's thousands of other campers there with us. Maybe not thousands, hundreds. I won't exaggerate, hundreds of other campers, campers there. And we do a baptism at the lake and down by the, down by the beach area, people are getting baptized. And there's all kinds of people there. And a lot of them aren't necessarily like Christians, like us. And they see people getting baptized and they see us worshiping and people coming out of the water and then rejoicing and praying. And that's a witness to them. It's going public in front of others. When people were baptized in the New Testament, it was a public thing. It was at the River Jordan. It was in public places. It was dramatic and it was for the reason for them to be seen. And then we come to spirit baptism, Holy Spirit baptism. That's when we're baptized in fire and power. That's the power of the Holy Spirit on the live and on, alive on the inside of us to empower us for ministry, to empower us to be witnesses. Acts 1.8 says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then it goes this, it says this, the, the, what that power is for is to be witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So our Holy Spirit baptism is to be fully immersed in the Holy Spirit, fully empowered by him to be witnesses in the world around us. So that's just a review of everything we're going to talk about today, all right? Uh, today we're talking about baptism. We started the series with this passage in Acts 19, and it's Paul, and he's gone to Ephesus and it's decades after the establishment of the church, people have been saved. People are being discipled. Uh, people are growing up into who God's called them to be. And he gets there, and now the 20 years the church has been spreading throughout the known world, he gets there and he says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered and they said, no, we haven't even heard that there was a Holy Spirit. And we talked about how that's the great tragedy of the church today still, that here 2,000 years later, we're still wrestling with even these ideas and doctrines about the Holy Spirit being for today, being active, being available, are the gifts for today, all these things we're still wrestling with because there's an enemy that we have that, that knows very much that there is, a, there is a secret to Christianity found in being empowered by the Holy Spirit. In fact, one of the most miserable Christian existences is to try and be a Christian on your own power, out of your own willpower. Uh, it's miserable because you're never enough and you never have enough and you will always fail. Everybody said, congratulations, amen. That's the end of the day. Let's see you next week, right? That's a terrible way to end the sermon. No, we're going to keep going. We're going to tell you that, listen, you don't have to do Christianity on your own strength. 
You can be empowered and strengthened. And that's why sometimes in, in many circles, Christianity gets a bad rap, right? They're so bitter. They're angry. They're resentful. It's because they're trying to do it on their own terms. There's no joy. When we're empowered by the Holy Spirit, there's a joy that comes recognizing that not only am I forgiven when I do mess up, I can be empowered and strengthened to live free and, and complete and whole, having, you know, and, and be in every way empowered and strengthened by Him. I'm not doing it out of my own strength, all right? So we're going to talk about three baptisms. Um, the first is this, that we're baptized into the body of Christ at salvation. Salvation is the day that you get immersed in a relationship with Christ and his church. Look at 1 Corinthians 12, 13. It says this, for we are all baptized, immersed by one spirit into one body. That's his church. We're baptized into salvation and we're baptized as people of the church. Now, a lot of people have hurt, church hurt. Anybody ever church hurt? You've been to a church and maybe got hurt or you got wounded and all those different things. And every time somebody, I talk about churches, it says, what's their name, right? Because how many you know churches don't really hurt us, right? It's people <laughs> and they're jacked up. Thank God. <laughs> Thank God they're in church, right? Right? Churches don't actually hurt people. It's like, oh, you know, I got hurt by this church. I was like, what's their name? Who was the leader? Give me his name. Who, who was it? Who was it? You know, who was a small group leader? Who was the director? Who was the, the teacher that, you know, who hurt you? Because it's always a name, isn't it? Right? Think about your church hurts. It's never a church. It's a person that hurts you in the church because guess what? They're broken and in process just like all of us. Welcome to the kingdom of God. I love that we never do that. You know, I don't go grocery shopping anymore. Oh, really? Why don't you go grocery shopping anymore? I got, I got grocery hurt, you know? <laughs> like those people over at Save Mart, they hurt me, you know? And so I just... I don't even go grocery shopping. I just do Instacart. That's it. They don't hurt. Instacart doesn't hurt. Um, we don't do that in any other area of life, but we do that with the church. We just say, the church hurt me. So it's like, no, the person, we all know when we go to Save Mart, I shouldn't even use real names. When we go to, you know, I don't know, Save Mart, when we go to Save Mart <laughs> and the checker hurts us, that doesn't stop us from going to Bel Air and trying again. You know, maybe you find a new Save Mart and, or you find a new Bel Air or you go to, you go to Costco. They never hurt anybody over there. They do make you wear a mask, but they never hurt anybody. <laughs> like, listen, we, we don't stop grocery shopping because somebody offends us. But in the kingdom of God, this is how, like, this is such proof that there's an enemy, that this is a spiritual war for your soul and your involvement. And I would say this, your relationship with Jesus is directly tied to your relationship with his church. And here's how I prove it. If any one of you men came up to me and said, James, I love hanging out with you. I'm like, I want to work out. I want to hunt with you. Let's go fishing together. Let's go hiking together. But bro, I can't stand your wife. Like, she is a mess. I can't stand being around her. I don't want to talk to her. Guess, guess what friendship just ended, right? She's my wife. Like, you're just a guy. Like, we don't have to be friends. Like, if you don't like, it's a group package, isn't it? Believers everywhere are walking around. I love Jesus. I just don't like the church. Well, I wonder how he feels about that. Because it's his bride that you're dogging on. You might want to watch your mouth or shut your mouth, right? That's bad news. That's his, that's his woman. We are the bride of Christ, right? And so that's not even the message today. But when we're saved, we get immersed by the one spirit into the one body, into the blood of Jesus Christ. That's its own baptism. Salvation is its own immersion. Look at Galatians 3, 26 through 27. You are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For all of you were baptized, immersed into Christ, 
having clothed yourself with Christ. Notice it says you weren't immersed into water, you were immersed into Christ. There is a baptism that happens before the baptism in water. We just only think of baptism as water. So when people start talking about Holy Spirit baptism, we start freaking out. There's only one baptism. There's not a spirit baptism, and no, it's in there. It's right, it's right in Scripture again and again and again. It, you know, you want to freak somebody out and say, I don't believe in the Holy Spirit baptism. There's only one baptism. It's just the water baptism. I said, no, there's three baptisms. They're like, <laughs> all right, just, okay, that's, I, I, that wasn't very funny. I, but <laughs> I thought it would be funnier. All right, first step in your spiritual journey is an all-in relationship with God. Look at John 20, 19 through 22. It says this, that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors. Ready? They're locked doors. They're meeting behind them because they were afraid of Jewish leaders. So they're afraid and they've locked the door. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Now let's paint the picture in our minds, all right? The doors are locked, so he did not go through the doors. He just appeared. And if you've seen Star Trek, you know, beam me up, Scotty. This is that moment. This has happened. He, he appears. Like he appears in a thin air. If you didn't know that was in your Bible, it's in there. It happens again with a guy named Philip who just appears on the road next to the uh, Ethiopian and leads him to the Lord, and Ethiopia gets the gospel, right? Incredible. This happens. People are translated, and they appear supernatural. How many know if he can heal blind eyes, he can do that too? right? Like if, you're, if he can create the world with his very breath and create matter, he can do that too. So don't get caught up like, I could believe all of the Bible, except I can't believe that a man would swallow, be swallowed by a fish and live. It's like, that's not, the, that's not the hardest thing to believe. There are so many harder things to believe than that. So get on board with it. Jesus just appears in a locked room, and he, he says this. How many know there's humor in the Bible? He says, peace be with you. How many know? Because he could read the room, he could read the room and he could tell there was some uneasiness because he just appeared. And somebody said, did you lock the door? I locked the door. Did you lock the door? I locked the door. Like the door's locked, right? Somebody go check the door. He's here. How'd he get in? He says, peace be with you. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hand and in his side. They were filled with joy and they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Spirit. This is so important. He says, receive the Holy Spirit, but we're going to go on to see that in Luke 24, 49, he says, and now I will send the Holy Spirit, talking about the same occasion from a different author's perspective, and now I will send the Holy Spirit just as the Father had promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. So wait, Jesus, I'm confused. Did you breathe on me and I received the Holy Spirit? Or am I supposed to wait for the Holy Spirit that the Father will send? Because I'm, I'm very confused right now, Jesus. Anybody else trying to kind of asking that question of Jesus? Listen, when you're saved, you receive the Holy Spirit. The moment that you give your heart to Jesus, the moment that you're baptized into salvation, you have received the Holy Spirit into your life. The work of the Holy Spirit is active on the inside of you. The moment you, maybe, maybe you raise your hand, or maybe you say in the quietness of your heart, or maybe you're watching a TV program, or uh, at a harvest crusade, and you receive Christ into your heart. Maybe you're just sitting with a friend. The Holy Spirit comes to reside on the inside of you, but Jesus says this, stay here until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from on high. Listen, there's a, different, there's a secondary moment that, the, that God wants to do in your life with the power of the Holy Spirit, that there's the moment that we receive the Holy Spirit 
for, for salvation. And then there's a moment where we're baptized in the Holy Spirit for empowerment. And they are distinct and separate occasions. Can they all happen at once? Absolutely. You can, there's no rules in terms of like how long you have to wait. Like, you know, first you get the Holy Spirit at salvation and then it's three and a half months. And then, then we upgrade you to the power of the Holy Spirit. I, I just want to, and, and then water baptism. You can't get the Holy Spirit until you're water baptized, and you're not really saved until you're water baptized. How many know those are doctrines in the church? And, and you're not really, there's people out there that believe they're not really saved until you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then you're not really saved if you don't really speak in tongues, you haven't really gotten the Holy Spirit. All of that stuff is erroneous and things that we put into Scripture trying to make it make sense. Rather than simply viewing the work of God in our life as a progressive reality, that, that yes, wonderful, salvations are wonderful. How many of you know when people raise their hand and respond to the free gift of salvation and receive the covering of the blood of Jesus in their life? That is a wonderful moment. We should cheer for that. My prayer, my hope is that every Sunday in the, in the history of this church, that, that every Sunday that someone would respond to Jesus. I pray that there will be a day, I don't know if it's six months from now or a year from now, where there is not a Sunday that goes by where somebody isn't beginning their relationship with God. But if we make that the whole package, if we say that's our only goal, then we're missing out on the progressive reality of what God wants to do in the life of the believer. That yes, we start at salvation, and that's a wonderful starting place, and we should rejoice, and we should contend for people's salvation. But how you know, there's more, there's more, there's more, all the way through eternity, not until eternity, in eternity. He is an infinite God with infinite power, with infinite uh, depth and understanding and love for us. We will be growing in him forever, forever. That's why heaven won't be boring because there will always be something new. There will always be a new reality of what he's wanting to do in our lives. It's not going to be boring at all. And so we can't stay at just the salvation moment and make that the goal of the church, the sole goal of the church. The goal of the church is about worshiping God and glorifying him forever, that there's a growing reality. Look at Acts 1, 3 through 5. It says this, during the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared, this is talking about that same moment, right? He appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, that's a baptism of repentance, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So even Jesus is referencing baptism at more than just water. There is multiple baptisms available for the people of God. The moment you receive Jesus, you receive the Holy Spirit. Let's talk about water baptism for just a moment. Acts 2.41, those who accepted his message were baptized, that public declaration of faith. It, Jesus says this in Matthew 10.32, whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before his Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. So water baptism is that going public moment that, that though we might begin, how many of you know what we do here is people raise their hand during, at the, during the last song and we offer people the opportunity to experience salvation, to receive Jesus as their Savior. And when we offer that opportunity, the lights are low and, and you know, the, we give people their privacy. But how many of you know if your relationship with God stays private, I don't know how much of a relationship it is. 
We'll give people the opportunity because we live in a culture where there's a lot of nerves and people are, are maybe seeking. They're coming to church and they're not sure what they want to do and they're not sure how many people they want to know about what they're going to do. And so we'll start there. We'll meet you right where you're at and you, you can raise your hand or look up at me or catch me eye to eye. You know what I'm talking about, right? Everybody's seen this before and that, that's their privacy. But that baptism, the water baptism, is the going public moment. Like, man, I am proud of what God's done in my life. I'm so thankful for what God's done in my life. I want to make this public declaration that I am all in. I am fully immersed in who he's called me to be. Then there's the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Acts 8, 5, uh, Philip, for example, he went, uh, he went to the city of Samaria and he told the people there about the Messiah. And in Acts 8, 12, the same moment in Samaria, but now the people believed. Everybody say first baptism. The people believed Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. As a result, many men and women were baptized. Everybody say second baptism. Second baptism. They're baptized in water. And then Acts 8, 14, 17, talking about the same moment, this revival in Samaria, when the apostles in Jerusalem, and remember, we're talking about baptism as immersed, not just water, right? It's just full immersion. I'm fully in. I'm fully invested. I'm full. I'm on board, right? Acts 8, 14 through 17, when the apostles in Jerusalem, when they heard about what was happening in Samaria, that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. When they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. They were baptized in the name of Jesus, but they needed to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. There's this progressive reality to what God has for you and I. And I want to ask you the question, have you settled? Have you plateaued in your walk with God? Have you plateaued at a moment where you think, I've got what I need, I know what I know, and I'm comfortable? I just want to invite you that life in the Spirit is not Yes, being assured of your salvation is definitely part of life in the Spirit, but being comfortable as having just like, oh, yes. Now it's just country club Christianity. I just love to go. I like to sit my coffee, you know, and grab my little pastry and, you know, just drop my kids off and like just come to church, but don't ask, you know, raise my hand, sing the songs, like service. Not really my thing. Listen, that's not life in the Spirit. Life in the Spirit is the drawing you into the deep end. The Holy Spirit saying, come, I got more for you. So if you've, had, if you've plateaued in your walk with God, let's just be clear, you've plateaued. You've plateaued, not what God has for you. Oh man, God has so much more for you. He desires more of a relationship with you. He desires greater depths with you. 1 John 5, 7 through 8, for there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. And there are three that bear witness on the earth, the Spirit being the Holy Spirit, the water being water baptism, and the blood being salvation. And these three agree as one, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. There is this progressive reality to serving God that's to lead to a place of empowerment and strength to be a witness in the world, to know your purpose, to know that even though you have a job, God's called you with purpose. 
that he has a place in your life. And a lot of people wait for calling. Like, well, I'm just not called. And we get very confused with calling because we're waiting for a moment rather than getting busy with what he's given us. And there's oftentimes, there are times to have a, have a clear sense of direction from the Holy Spirit and to contend for that. There's other times to just open the word and say, great commission, okay, I'm a disciple. I'm called to make disciples. All right, who, who am I making? Who can I invest in? Who can I pour my life into? Be filled with the Spirit. I'm going to tell you my story just real quick with the Spirit. And obviously, it's a continuing story. It's not a story that's over. But I was 12 years old when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I was prayed for. And I had given my life to Jesus when I was seven. I'd walked the aisle, you know. I had the moment. I, I, the only reason I know I walked the aisle is not because I remember it, but because there was a certificate in my Bible and my parents said I did. So, you know, seven years old, I'm, I'm in. I, I, I'm saved. I'm, I, I have a moment with God there. And I always grew up loving the Lord. I grew up in a Christian home and all of those different things. My, people, my parents talking to me about it. And at 12 years old, there was a Holy Spirit moment where I, was, I, I felt like I was empowered by the Holy Spirit. And I felt a strength, and it was a definitely an encounter. And I had uh, other youth pastors that can't, not other youth pastors, but youth pastors. I was 12, so it's not like we were on a team, you know. It's like, uh, come on, youth pastors. No, it was like I was 12. They were the youth pastors. They came, and there was like three of them, and they prayed for me, and I, I was empowered by the Holy Spirit. I received a, a heavenly language, the gift of speaking in tongues, and um, I have a heavenly language, and that might, even that might kind of freak you out a little bit, and I just want you to know that that's for today. There's a great couple of books in the back. There's a, one called The Beauty of Spiritual Language, and it's, it's for empowerment, it's for encouragement, and it doesn't have to be a weird experience. It doesn't have to be a strange experience. It's something very much that the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives. Don't let the, what you've heard about it, and don't let the experiences that you may have had with it deter you from contending for it, all right? It's for you. It's for today. And I received that at 12 years old. It was a powerful moment. I get to about 17 or 18, you know, junior, senior in high school, and I, I, I didn't have a lot of friends, and we didn't have a big youth group, and I didn't have a lot going on in my life, and I just wanted, I'm a very social person, and I fell, I fell into the crowd that loved to, uh, to party and go to games. And so I, you know, I, Lindsay says, always call, calms me now. She's like, you, you make it sound like you are a gang member. Um, okay, I wasn't a gang member. Uh, if you are a gang member, you're welcome here. There's nothing wrong with being, there is something wrong with being a gang member, but you are still invited to be a part of, just stick around a little while. Uh, but I wasn't a gang member. Sometimes she, make, she just laughs at me because I make it sound like I was this hardened criminal, you know, thug, rebellious kid. I, you know, I drank a few times and went to a few parties, and I knew I shouldn't have. Um, but I, I had a moment of rebellion in my, as a senior in high school. And then I, after I got out of high school, I had a Holy Spirit moment where I'm, I'm asking God for all that he has for me, right? I, and knowing how my lifestyle, my lifestyle was whack, but asking God, hey, God, you have more for me, and I know it, and I don't want to miss it. And I just felt the voice of the Holy Spirit say, lose your phone, lose your phone. And for that, at that time, this was a time when you, you had a flip phone and you had your phone numbers. And if you, were, if you lost those phone numbers, the, especially if you've already graduated high school, there was no Facebook. Um, there was AOL Instant Messenger. And so you'd get on and you know what I mean? Like, do you remember this? Okay. And it, you just, if you lost those numbers, like the only way you were getting them, if they happened to write them down in your yearbook. Anybody ever have to go back to your, okay, yearbook, I'm dating myself, and look for their phone number, like, because you're hoping they, so when lose my phone was a Holy Spirit moment, where the Holy Spirit spoke to me, it was powerful, it may not be powerful to you, like, I'm, I'm not saying like, wow, it's so powerful, but for me, it was a Holy Spirit moment, lose your phone, huge sacrifice, 
very social person, knowing that all of those relationships could be gone forever, not knowing that Facebook would come around in just a few years and we'd all get reconnected. Um, <laughs> but I'd be in a way healthier place. <laughs> be able to handle it. Um, it was a Holy Spirit moment. It was a surrender moment. So I met Jesus at seven. I had an encounter with Jesus at 12. I had to surrender my life again to him at 18. How many know the same is true for you? It's every morning, every day, every moment, every new scenario. It's constant surrender and constant pursuit. There's always a new thing to give up for God. And it's not because he's cruel and just wants us to, he wants our best. And oftentimes we're not living the best that he's called us to do. We're not living intentionally with our lives. We're not living from a place of purpose. And so he's calling us like a good father. I've got more for you. I've got more for you. And so it's progressive. It doesn't just stop at these moments. It's not just Holy Spirit one time. It's Holy Spirit all the time. How many times have you woken up? I'm embarrassed. To, I can, I'm embarrassed. I'm glad I haven't counted, but it's embarrassing me to think of how many times I've woken up and I'm still half asleep. My eye is still shut inside of one pillow, right? And I grab my phone and I check like, you know, I check like my... 401k, you know, just say, did anything happen last night that was amazing? You know, and, I, and I, I, I'm groggy and it's early and nothing else has happened. And I start my day with like scrolling through, refreshing my Facebook. Anybody comment on that photo I posted at 930 last night? Oh, only 12. You know, <laughs> looking at carnal, unredemptive, nothing exciting, wicked things at the very first moment of my day, checking cryptocurrencies to see, man, if I'd only invested a month ago, right? You know, like this is the reality. We do this. What if we started every day knowing that I need, a, I need, as, I need as fresh of an outpouring of the Holy Spirit today as I needed when I was 12? as fresh, as powerful, as significant as it was when I was 18. There's as much as God has for me, and even the stakes are higher. At 38 right now, there's, there's just as, the stakes are just as high, if not higher. There's a fresh anointing, a fresh outpouring, a fresh empowerment. It's not a one-time thing. It's an all-the-time thing. And so we have to see ourselves. So we get confused with this stuff, and we spend time trying to parse out, like, well, what's this and what's that? It's like, no, continuing pursuit and growth in God, continuing freshness of life. If we feel plateaued, we probably are plateaued because we've chosen plateau. And God says, move, move deeper, go further. I've got more for you. Don't be, don't be afraid. And then at 21 years old, I remember a year before I got married, driving and, and kind of coming down into the Sacramento Valley and hearing just the Lord whisper to my heart. I'd been worshiping, you know, a six hour drive from Los Angeles. And I was coming up to visit family. I just worshiping the Lord, not knowing what my future would hold. And I come into the Sacramento Valley and the Holy Spirit just speaks to my heart. And it's, it's dramatic and it's profound and it's not my voice. That, that, those are the things I can tell you. It's dramatic, it's profound. I end up in tears and it's not, it's not something I made up. And the Holy Spirit just whispers to my heart, you're gonna pastor in the city. You're gonna shepherd the city. You're called here. You're supposed to be here one day. It's not, it's not for eight more years until we move and two more kids and a marriage and couple degrees and all that stuff later before we come up here. But it's like, these are, these are just three moments in my progressive walk with the Lord, my progressive journey with God. And the Holy Spirit has the same for you. I am not special. But if we want cookie cutter purpose, if we want God to deliver us our purpose on a silver platter, we won't know what to do when we see it. 
But if we progressively pursue him at a daily, a weekly, a monthly, then, and he grows us and matures us and strengthens us and empowers us and gives us love for people, because that's the key, right? Like Paul says, if I had tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am just a gonging symbol at our clanging brass. And when I was a junior high pastor, we would have had a set of symbols up here. I would say, it would have sounded like this, but I won't do that to you, right? I know there's some hearing aids in the room and I don't want to just freak everybody out. But how many of you know, like he, that's, not the, that's not what Paul says, it's not worth it, right? If, if, the, if all you get is for you and you can't give it away, then it's not the spirit of God. It's not all that God has for you. Ephesians 5.18 says this, Do not get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is an interesting passage because um, it's, the, it's the second time in Scripture where being filled with the Holy Spirit is referred to as drunkenness. In fact, when the disciples come out of the upper room, people are confused. And they say, what are these drunk people doing? Where'd all these drunks come from, man? It's only like 9 a.m. That's literally in the passage. Like it's too, it's way too early for all these drunk people to be walking around. And so this life in the spirit and drunkenness are kind of paired together throughout scripture. And why is that? I was thinking about that. It's like, you know, you've heard the phrase like, I just, you know, I have a glass of wine or a couple, you know, just to take the edge off, right? Just to take the edge off. You've heard that phrase, right? I just take the edge off. And when you think about like, what does life in the spirit and drunkenness have in common? I think it's, there's, there's, there's sense, there's a little bit of inhibitions have been removed, right? There's a, there's a freedom. We've interpreted, I think cheaply, we've interpreted what it means to be drunk in the spirit as like kind of, you know, in some Pentecostal circles, perhaps hobbling around, like not able to stand. And we've interpreted maybe, you know, falling out under the power. I, I believe the Holy Spirit can do any of those things, but sometimes we've interpreted it as that's what it looks like to be drunk in the spirit, what if it just looks like freedom? What if it's a more secure and a more purposeful freedom than what we get when we have alcohol, right? And so, Jesus, so Paul says, be, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine because it's a, it's a cheap substitute for the freedom and the, the lack of, of uh, insecurities that come when you're fully empowered and fully free in the spirit. You know, the Bible says don't be, you know, you, that, that you can drink without getting drunk. And I believe that to be true. However, I also believe that oftentimes we use drink to create superficial freedom and superficial joy. And wherever that balance is for you, I'm not here to parse that out for you in your relationship with God. That's, on you, that's for you to do at home with Jesus. But I do believe when, when, when that's referred to, like, why are these people all drunk and they're really filled with the Holy Spirit? I think they were the freest people that anybody had ever seen. I think they came out of that upper room so confident, so filled with joy, so exuberant, so like aware of who God was, empowered by him. They came out like every, who, who is giving, what kind of drink are these guys drinking? What, you know, like there's, a, you know, old movies that's like, what you've been smoking, man? Like, they, like somebody's on something, right? I don't think it was stumbling around unable to contain themselves. I think it was, it was a legitimate freedom, right, that comes, that comes from those things. And God says, I want the same freedom for you. Can you imagine if we contended for that kind of freedom in God? The, the, the lack of, um, the no more inhibitions, no more boundaries, that we became fully alive, fully present, now, the other thing that drunkenness does is, how many of you know, it, remo- it, like, it makes you more like the person you probably have been hiding, right? 
So if you're insecure, it makes you more secure. I know there's the angry drunk too, right? Anybody ever met the angry drunk where it's just like, you're just mean. Well, it's because they could cover it up before and now they're just mean, right? Like now you just see them for who they actually are. They're just a mean dude and they get drunk and now they're more mean. For me, I, I will admit, you know, there were a couple times in my, in my, you know, fully unsurrendered life to Jesus for a few years where I got drunk and I'm a fun guy without alcohol. That's the reality, not fun guy being, you know, a mushroom. I'm a fun guy without alcohol. And so I had some alcohol and some moments of drunkenness in high school, and I was even more fun. Like, everyone wanted to be around Drunk James. Like, they wanted to be around me. And listen, I think it's just a cheaper version of coming into who God's really called you to be. So be filled with the Holy Spirit. Get high on the most high. I said, I said, I had to say it. I had to say that. I had to say that. It's too good. It's every youth pastor's favorite line. All right. Three things. Three things I want to leave us with. First of all, remove all barriers. If, we're, if there's any practical application, it says, let's remove all barriers. Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord God will call. Everybody say, all means all. all, all. Listen, there, there are some, some doctrines in the church today that say all this stuff ended when we got the Bible you know, because the perfect has come and scripture is, is, is perfect. You know, it's the, they refer to it as the perfect. We believe that the perfect is actually Jesus. And so where there are tongues and where there are prophecies and where there are signs and wonders, all that will end when the perfect has come. Well, the perfect is the return of Jesus. We won't, we won't be speaking in tongues in heaven because we will be in heaven. We won't need those things. We will be fully alive and fully aware. We won't need miracles when everybody is whole and healthy and healed, right? We will all be in heaven. The perfect is the person in Jesus. And the idea that the, that the Holy Spirit's work ended for believers 2,000 years ago after the apostles established the church is, is really in direct defiance of this passage. This promise of the Holy Spirit is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord God will call. All means all forever. The Holy Spirit is for you today. Let's remove all barriers. Request the gift of the Holy Spirit. Look at 11, Luke eleven thirteen says this. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And, you know, I, I referenced it earlier, but starting my day on my phone with carnal, insignificant things, man, what if I just began my day just asking for empowerment for that day? What if, what if your days and my days just looked like a fresh, just as hungry as we, I was at 12 for the things of God. 12 years old at a youth summer camp, just saying, God, I want everything that you have for me. And being so humble and childlike and just saying, God, if you've got it for me, I want it. I want it for me. I want what you have. Can you imagine waking up every morning and just saying, God, whatever you have for me today, if you've got it, I want it. Lord, I want what you have for me. I want that strength and that empowerment and being so humble and so surrendered. I'm telling you, you will experience the power of God in your life as you pursue him and ask him for it. And it's not something you have to be scared of, right? Because he only knows how to give good gifts. He's not gonna give you something that you don't want. It's going to be his highest and his best for your life. Look at number three, receive him by faith. Um, here's a part of the kingdom of God that I wrestle with. 
And the part of the kingdom of God that I wrestle with is all growth in God and all maturity in God and all moving to the next phase requires a leap of faith. It requires trusting God before you, before you know the outcomes, before you know what it's going to look like. And this is, this is the hardest part of Christ following, in my opinion, is that he will, the Holy Spirit will burst something in your heart and you will have to trust and leap without knowing the outcomes. Um, this has been mo- many times in my life, and um, the, the most significant was when we had two little kids and we moved to Sacramento area from Los Angeles. You know, we had 10 years of friendships. Our, our wedding was there, our, par- our wedding party, all of our young adult friends. We were young 20s, you know, having kids. It was, it was everything. All, our whole life was set up in Los Angeles, and uh, the moment the Holy Spirit said, now's the time to move. And uh, we, you know, we had enough money literally to, to get a U-Haul, put our stuff in it, and drop it off at a storage unit, and live for 13 months in the bedroom I grew up in. That's right. My wife and I lived with my parents for 13 months in the bedroom I grew up in. And that's, where, that's, that's what we had to, to get up into the area. And that leap of faith without knowing the outcome, man, I could have never foreseen the journey. But I'm so thankful for the growth that happened because I took it because I trusted God on the journey. There is a leap of faith that comes just before the growth, just before the breakthrough, just before the the thing that God wants to do in your life. And it's not a move for everybody. Sometimes the leap of faith is, I've been attending small groups my entire life, and I've felt called to lead one for five years, but I don't know how it's going to work. And you take the leap of faith, and you say, I'm going to lead a small group. Sometimes the leap of faith is, I've sat next to this person at work my entire life, and I, I, or not my entire life, that would, that would be awkward because then you'd be working for way too long. Um, but I've seen this person at work for years now, and I've, I've known I've, I'm supposed to share my faith, or I'm supposed to invite her to church, or I'm supposed to ask her for prayer. I'll never forget, for me, I worked for Save Mart for three years as a meat cutter, and uh, there was a moment where the Lord tested me in this, and one of my coworkers was really sick. And uh, I said, hey, I'll pray for you. And the Holy Spirit just whispered in my heart, now, now. And I was like, we're at the fish counter, God. Like, we're selling shrimp. Like, this is gross and embarrassing. And I'm at work. And uh, I did. I asked her, can I pray for you? And we prayed right there. We prayed right there. And, And it was a leap of faith for me. It was dramatic. It might seem simple to you, but for me it was like, oh my gosh. And it was, let me tell you, it was my quickest prayer. I will say that. It was a very quick prayer because there was pressure on it. You know, there was, there was risk on it. There was a leap of faith on it, but I grew from it. Lord used it. He wants, he's, he's whispering the same kinds of things to you. We've got to receive him by faith. Worship team, you can come on up. And um, he's going to require a leap of faith. Look at Ezekiel 47. This is a, a prophecy and it's a picture a vision that God takes Ezekiel on of what it looks like when the glory of God, when the very presence of God fills the temple of God. And it's a famous passage. It's a beautiful passage. It's worth studying, worth reading. Um, But there's a couple of things I just want to show about the progressive nature of what God has for us when it comes to his presence and his spirit and his empowerment. It says this, as the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he'd measured off a thousand cubits, and then he led me through the water, and it was ankle deep. Everybody say ankle deep. Ankle deep Christianity is very comfortable, right? Because ankle deep, like I'm, I'm wet, but I'm not that wet. <laughs> like I'm in, but I'm not that in. You know what I mean? Like I've 
retained my dignity. I'm just in the ankle deep, you know what I mean? Um, I just, just enough to where I, I'm on my way to heaven. I'm loved by God, of course. Like I'm forgiven, redeemed, set free. All of those things. I, I have a nice little church I go to. I sip, sip coffee in the back. You know, everything's great and wonderful. And I just feel good. I feel good. Ankle deep is my kind of deep, you know? And he says, uh, he measured off another thousand cubits and led me through the water that was knee deep, knee deep. So it's a little deeper, right? There's a little more risk involved. There's a little more commitment. There's a little more surrender. There's a little more immersion that's happening. God is br bringing him into it. And the river comes from the, the, the thresh, the temple, from the, uh, the altar, and it goes out the the sanctuary, if you were to look at a picture, if there were a middle aisle here, it'd be like trickling up here and then growing as it progresses through the door and out, right? And it gets deeper. The further it gets away from the temple, the deeper that it gets. And it's the very presence of God. It's the power of God. It's the glory of God, all represented in this picture of the river. And as he's measuring, it's ankle deep. And he measures again, and it's knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was waist deep. So now it's up to the up to the waist. Now there's some serious commitment involved, right? Now it might go from like, you know, if, if this is uh, if this is ankle deep worship, where, you know, where we just, the only thing involved of our bodies is our toe, right? Like this was big and when I was growing up, I, my dad would just stand on the front row. He was a pastor and he would just tap his toe. Like to, this was worship, man. Just tapping the toe, right? And he's a good man and he, he you know, but that, anybody ever... Okay, we're done with the toe. Um, but, you know, if that, then, then this might be, this might be knee deep, right? You know, just, I'm, I'm, my hands are raised, but they're not crazy raised. And then, you know, this might be waist deep. And that's just, I'm, I'm not making a reference. Where, wherever your hands are during worship, like, I just want you to know God has more for you, right? Like, that's the, that's the point. It's not, listen, it's not just about worship, raising our hands in worship. It's about everything, it's about everything, our whole lives, how we think about God, how we envision the future, how we envision his work in our life or his empowerment in our life or the strength that he has available to us, what he can do in our marriage, what he can do in our families, what he can do in our community, what my role is on the baseball team. Like it's every area of our life that there is this progressive calling of God into the deep waters of his presence. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in. It was a river that no one, that no one could cross. So that's that full immersion experience, right? That's the all-in moment where you're no longer, see, at the waist, I'm still, I'm still relatively in control. I'm, now, God doesn't want you out of control either, but how many of you know he does want to lead you? He wants to be in control. He wants you surrendered. And when you get, when you get deep enough, the river takes you away. And guess what? You go where the river goes, right? Like it makes a turn. You're going on that turn. If you've ever done river rafting, you know what I'm talking about. Like you don't get to decide. There's nothing like if that's the chute it's going down, you're going down that chute. There ain't no, hang on, sister. Like hang on, brother. Like the river's going that way. And I think that's the life that God would envision for every single believer, everyone, that there is no special people. And this isn't just for pastors. And this, you don't have to get licensed to figure out if you're to be, uh, you know, if you're in the river or not. There's no ordination necessary. You don't, there's not a Bible college thing. This is a surrender to the very presence of God thing. This is a God, everything you have for me, Lord, I want the river to, to take 
and control my life. I want to go where you're going. I want to love what you love. I want to surrender what you've called me to surrender. I want to be who you've called me to be. You see the picture? You see the picture that Ezekiel saw? And it's amazing because in, ba- in the end of this passage, it says the deeper the river got and where it went, man, the trees on the side, they had healing in their leaves. Like everything that river touched. When that, when that river got down to the, to the salt water, into the ocean, when it started pouring into the ocean, it didn't become salt water. It made the salt water fresh water. How many of you know he's not talking about a river anymore, is he? <laughs> he's talking about the very people of God. And the further we get from the temple of God, from the, from the box called the church, the more powerful and impactful our lives are to be. Man, the growth that God has for you, I think it might start here. It's like a trickle. But where you're going to grow the most is when your knees hit the floor on the side of your bed as a father, as a mother, as a friend, and you cry out to God for your kids. You cry out to God for your family. You cry out to God for your city. And you say, God, I want everything that you have for me. That's where your growth is. Great things can happen here. Come to church next week. This isn't an invitation to not be here. But the real growth, man, is you and God. The real growth may be in your car when you stop listening to music or talk radio and you just cry out for the presence of God. Lord, touch me, change my heart, renew my spirit, empower me, strengthen me, help me be the kind of man, the kind of woman you've called me to be in every area of my life. Free me from this addiction. God, I'm crying out freedom. I need freedom in my mind. I need freedom in my heart. I need empowerment and strength. Man, that's the deep waters. So the question this morning is, who wants to go into the deep waters? It's time to go to the deep end. Go ahead and stand with me.